0: If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn with me once again to the Gospel of John, John chapter 8. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we do have some Bibles on the back cart uh, that you can use if you don't have a Bible app on your phone or whatever else you got going. If you have nothing, you can just look at the screen behind me and it will show uh, the passage for today. We pick up today... Uh, Where we left off two weeks ago. We'll be here in John for this week and next week. And then the first Sunday of Advent, I'm going to begin an Advent series. I'll tell you more about that next week. But we pick up where we left off two weeks ago with Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has been engaged in conversation and discourse and discussion with the Jews who had gathered, you'll remember, uh, for this feast the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And this feast, this annual celebration, one of the three great feasts, had provided an opportunity for Jesus uh, to seize upon some of the imagery that, are, that is found in the feast and in, found in the feast and in some of its celebration, and further drive home his identity, showing that ultimately, it's all about Him. Everything in the Old Testament, all the feasts, all the ceremonies were eventually, at the end of the day, all about him. He is the light that they needed. He is the water that they've thirsted for. He is the bread from heaven who will forever satisfy their hunger. And So Jesus has seized upon these different things and this kind of rhetoric has infuriated some people particularly the religious leaders of the day, who see Jesus as a threat, who see Jesus as twisting the words of God, even though He is God. But the text also tells us that it's intrigued others. The last thing that John told us in the passage that we looked at two weeks ago, verse 30, the last four words, many believed in Him. But did they really? That's the question we ask as we come to this text this morning because Jesus speaks to them directly now. So listen as I read. If you're able, I'd encourage you to stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, verses 31, reading down through verse 47. Listen as I read. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word... So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please go ahead and be seated. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Verse 32 in our passage this morning is one that you don't even have to be a Bible-believing Christian to recognize. We've all likely heard that phrase in various contexts in our day and age. It's quoted in various movies, for instance, I I remember being quoted in by Jim Carrey in the movie Liar, Liar, which is not a movie I recommend, but the phrase uh, served as the motto of the 2018 presidential election of the former president of Brazil, interestingly enough, I didn't know that. But most notably, this phrase, the truth and the truth will set you free, it appears in various institutions of higher learning, The verse is inscribed on the main building at the University of Texas in Austin. It's on the library at Iowa State University. It's at Victoria College in the University of Toronto. It also appears on the old CIA building in Washington, D.C. But here's the question. What is the truth that sets free... And what is the freedom that is so attractive? Jesus says this iconic phrase, but what does it really mean? Those are the two questions that I think Jesus answers for these people in the first century and two things that the Holy Spirit brings to us and challenges us with today. And so I'd like to frame our thinking this morning for the next few minutes and our unpacking of this passage around Two simple answers to those two questions. What is the truth that sets free, and what is the freedom that is so attractive? And to do this, I want to actually flip the passage upside down. Jesus has already said this phrase, but I want to look to the second half first, the section beginning, if you have your Bibles open, with verse 39. Why are you flipping it, Nate? I don't know. That's just the way my mind worked in studying this passage this week. So verse 39 on first, and then we'll jump back to the opening verses, verses 31 through 38. The first truth is this. Truth is found in knowing Jesus. Truth is found in knowing Jesus. In other words, there is no middle neutral ground for any of us. You either know Christ and you have therefore found truth, you know Jesus and you see the world as it truly and really is, or you don't know Jesus and you are lost. Even more than that, you serve the devil which we'll get to in just a moment. You see, as we jump back into this dialogue between Jesus and these Jews, Jesus has questioned the authenticity of their profession, and specifically who they serve. Verse 38, you do what you have heard from your Father. Jesus implies that they're not on the same page with him at all, though they have said that they believe him. Jesus is a Jew who serves Yahweh, His Father. But while Jesus acknowledges the ethnicity of those who He's speaking to, verse 37, He does that, based on their actions specifically directed towards Him, they are Jews who don't serve Yahweh. They serve a different Father. And so this section, uh, section 39, verse 39 down through the end of the passage that I just read, begins with this stern protest. Abraham is our father, they say. Yahweh, of course, was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, being part of Abraham's family was the link to God. And this is good. This is good. I mean, the Apostle Paul will talk about the benefits of being an ethnic Jew, of being connected by lineage to Abraham. He reminds us in Romans 3 that the Jews were entrusted with the promises of God, the oracles of God. And in Romans 9 4, the Apostle Paul will say this They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. That's all good. But it's not enough. You see, even beyond the ethnic connection, bound up in this declaration they make that Abraham is our father is a moral declaration. In other words, they're saying, we are good, law-abiding Jews. We know the truth. We have the law. And we measure up. And here's Jesus' response He says, Actually, no, you don't. You must know me. And instead, you're trying to kill me. You're not acting like Abraham, your father. Abraham believed God, he recognized the voice of God, he was willing to sacrifice everything for God. Remember the story of Isaac. And yet, here I am, Jesus says, sent from God, with the words of God in my mouth, with the acts of God evident in my ministry, and you clearly don't know me. You see, Jesus argues that the rejection of Him places them outside of the truth, outside of the very thing they are seeking. Truth is found in a person. The person of Jesus, not an ethnic identity, not an ethical adherence. Well, a couple of things are striking about this, things that I think will lead us into how this challenges us here today. I briefly stated them earlier, the first one is, notice that there's no neutrality, right? There's no gray area that we can hang out In between two extremes. Every one of you here this morning, you have two choices in your life. You either serve Jesus or you serve the devil. And our world would like to put religions kind of as this smorgasbord, this buffet of choose whatever works for you, whatever you might need. But the Bible knows of no conception. Jesus states in Matthew 12.30, whoever is not with me is against me. And interestingly enough, he says this in the context of the Pharisees accusing him of casting out demons in the name of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And that leads me to the other striking thing about Jesus' comments here. And that is that Jesus sees and he brings our attention to brings to our attention the spiritual realities of our world, right? What's behind our unbelief? What's behind our indifference? And while I don't want to overemphasize this, Jesus won't let us underemphasize it either. We can't. Verse 44, let me read it again. Jesus says, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth. Therefore, there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, the people who first heard these words, this is exactly what they will do. They will murder Jesus, believing the lies about who he was and denying the truth of who he is. Truth is found in knowing Jesus. The blueprint for our lives is found in the one who created us and in him alone. How did John start the gospel? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It was true for the Jews of the first century and it's still true for us today. we've talked at various times about our relationship, not just ours here at Ascension, but our culture's relationship with with truth. You see, the world's conception of truth has shifted quite a bit recently, and now we have remnants of, of at least two types of thinking. I want to talk about them for just a moment. First of all, all those institutions that I mentioned earlier that have that phrase over their buildings, in their libraries. Why did they put that verse on their campuses? Because the path to truth, they're declaring, is through education. Education and information is their Savior. If you learn enough, if you know enough, you can pull yourself out of situations that would hold you back and you can be who you want to be. In our own time, this is the promise of artificial intelligence. right? I listened to Philip's sermon last week and Philip mentioned this. Some are hopeful for the salvation that a computer with limitless knowledge will bring. Now, I'm not down on education. Education's good. Education's important. But education is not the truth that will set us free. But there's another modern ideology that's competing to attain truth. It's it's that idea of my truth, right? We've talked about this, this idea of expressive individualism. If you type the phrase, the truth will set you free into the Amazon search bar, at amazon.com. The fourth result that you'll get is a book with this subtitle Overcoming Emotional Blindness and Finding Your True Adult Self. Here's the bottom line Idolatry of education is a lie. And thinking that information is the path to truth is demonic. Idolatry of humanity is a lie, and thinking that truth is what you make it is demonic. Of course, we've been talking about this as a church. We've been talking about the lies of our anti-Christian age that we are being told to believe in the name of enlightenment In the name of finally we figured this out in the evolution of humanity. But brothers and sisters, we can't fix ourselves. We need Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowing Jesus is where truth is found. And he is the truth that sets us free. Which is where we turn our attention to next. To that second question. Our passage this morning began with Jesus speaking to the Jews who had believed him. But as the conversation proves, as Jesus fleshes this out, theirs is a fickle faith, and maybe it's not even genuine at all, which is why Jesus seeks to unpack a bit of what true discipleship looks like. And that's the second truth this morning, and it's this, freedom is found In being bound to the Son. Knowing Jesus is where truth is found. But freedom is found in being bound to the Son. What do you think of when when you hear that word freedom? I know what we in America think of. We think of the good old United States. Maybe some of us think of the last cry of William Wallace in the movie Braveheart. For a lot of people in our circles, in our culture, the concept of freedom is about doing what you want, having no master. And so we talk about things like financial freedom. We talk about things of we talk about being free to be me, free to be who I am. That even ties in with the lies that we hear in our culture. Being free is something that it's appealing, right? We, We all want it, even though we may have different and, frankly, wrong views of what that looks like. And as our passage shows, there are even some who think that they have freedom already, right? That's the position of the Jews in verse 33. They exclaim... If you have your Bibles open, you can look at it with me. They exclaim that they've never been enslaved by anyone as we jump back to the first half of the passage. Of course, for the Jews to say this, this isn't a declaration uh, that they have never been under political subjection, right? Their history is full of slavery, of political subjection. So what are they saying? We have never been enslaved by anyone. Well, this is about spiritual freedom. Because Judaism, following the law, taught that the law made one free. And so they are saying that based upon their inherited ethnic identity and their adherence to the law, they're free. And what is freedom? Freedom is self-assurance Freedom is being safe and comfortable. They don't see any need in their lives. They're free from needs. I'm good. They're comfortable with their goodness. We're pretty good people. I'm I'm certainly not as bad as that guy over there. And they're comfortable with their sins. Oh my My sins, they're really not that big of a deal. It's not really that of an issue. And of course, those two declarations are something that our own hearts cry out. And that those around us cry out. Comfortable with their goodness. Comfortable with their sin. And here's where Jesus' statement, The truth will set you free. And his explanatory remarks after that come together. See, Jesus teaches the reality that none of us are free. We are all enslaved. We are born bound. Whatever you live for, whatever you make the highest priority of your life, whether that be your success, whether that be your reputation, whether that be your personal comfort, your personal pleasure, whether that be power over others, whatever it is, that is your Lord. That is your master. And we all have them. And it's not the one you were made for. It's not the one who created you. And because we chase after all these other things, we are enslaved to sin. We are not sinners because we commit sin. We commit sin because we are sinners. And the law, God's standard of righteousness, which we've already talked about is good, doesn't free us from this. It only shows us Of our need. It shows us of our enslavement. These Jews that Jesus is talking to, they are self-deceived and so are some of us. As they relied on their pedigree or on their own goodness, on their own keeping of the law, they accomplished nothing. They accomplished the opposite of what they hope for. Jesus makes this reference in this passage. He says, slaves slaves are temporary. Verse 35, right? A, a slave in a household, which was more prevalent, obviously, in the first century than today. A slave lives in anxiety. A slave lives on, on pins and needles, not knowing where they stand before the one that they serve and, and they live with. And Jesus says, don't you want to be a son? Don't you want to be a a daughter? A child who knows no matter what he does, he's good. Because he never doubts his standing within his family. You can have that, Jesus says to them. And he says it to us here this morning. It comes through knowing me, through recognizing that I am the truth, and being bound to me. And I intentionally use that word bound, freedom through obedience, freedom through submission. That doesn't sound like the world's conception of freedom, does it? But that's what Jesus says. He says, give up your autonomy, give up your independence, and be free. One pastor says it very succinctly this way. The birthday of every Christian is your dependence day. The birthday of every Christian is your dependence day. You see, friends, freedom is not doing what you want to do. It's doing what you were meant to do. It's not serving yourself it's serving the one who you were made for. To know and to enjoy fellowship with the one true God through Jesus, his Son. This is freedom. He sets us free by giving the power by his Spirit to not sin. We're not bound to sin anymore. Romans 6, 17 and 18, thanks be to God, Paul says, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. And the domino effect of being set free from sin and being made a son or a daughter in the household of God is that he sets us free to be secure knowing that when we mess up and we will mess up, we're not going to get kicked out of the house because we know where we stand, because we're children. John 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so Jesus sets us free as humans to live in joy, to walk by faith, And not by sight, to even suffer like him. And we could go on and on and on all the privileges of his word that he lays out for us. Verse 31: if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's what freedom is. Freedom is being bound to the Son. We live in a country that is associated with the concept of freedom. But the question is, are we we truly free? Paul says to the church in Galatians 5.1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Peter says to the church in 1 Peter 2.16, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is what we're called to, church. To live in dependence. To live in freedom as we look to Jesus. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the gospel promises that are ours through the work of Jesus. Lord God, forgive us for all the ways we chase truth and satisfaction and fulfillment in things other than You. Set us free increasingly from our sin by the power of Your Spirit. And if there are those here this morning who are still in bondage to themselves to their sin, oh Lord God, I pray that You would set them free as they seek the Son and as they bind their lives to Him. For He is our only hope. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Lord God, thank you for these truths. Thank you for our Savior. Take these things and apply them to the hearts and lives of the people who hear this day. For your glory and for our good, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.